Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. It's a Silurian theme. It was played on a crumb horn, whatever that is, by Carrie Blyton. I don't know. I want to look up a crumb horn and learn more about it. I, so far, I have not been annoyed by the music. So you, I know you said it gets crazier later. It does a little bit. It, it's that 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 little meh, 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 meh is sort of the Silurian theme, I think. Basically, you can sort of hear it being seeded in throughout the course of the story as we learn more and more about them, and then as we see them, we finally hear it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I have vague memories of watching the Sea Devils, mm-hmm. and I seem to remember the music for that being way more annoying for the than this is. Um, and I feel like I've heard people say the opposite, that this is annoying and that the Sea Devils is just cool. And I think I'm going to disagree with that when we get there. But uh, so far, it's <laughs> that's fine. This is the, the, it's a complete opposite. The Sea Devils is full on electronic. Mm. And this is very organic with like, you know, the crumb horn, the strings, the wood blocks, you know. Oh, yeah. I like the wood blocks. I sh- we should say we watched episodes two and three. Yeah. So, you know, there may be more crumb horn action to come that will be too much for me and over the top. But uh, I was I was warned that I should brace myself mm-hmm. for some ridiculousness and or awfulness. And I don't think I've found either. No, I, I guess I'm uh, immune to it now, um, so I, I know what's coming, I think. There are, yeah, but, yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you think so far? I really like this. Yay! I really am very much enjoying this story. Uh, it's It's got a lot. I, I like the way they are, they have been very slowly dribbling out hints and bits and of the of the creature that we don't actually see full on until the very end of episode three as the uh, uh, the cliffhanger basically and and yeah so you'd see like its hand or the shadow of it down the hallway as it's getting accidentally shot at first I was just like seriously Baker you're just just shooting at it but then when he explains that he was trying to shoot over its head and it ricocheted like okay that that just makes you an idiot uh, because shooting in a cave and not expecting it to ricochet um but at least he wasn't flat out murderous i guess mm-hmm. um right right off the bat so that's that's something yep and then there's the uh the the POV shots with the three different with the red up top because they have some sort of third eye up there. I suppose that's supposed to be like infrared, uh, even though that's maybe not exactly what infrared looks like when we think about how infrared works, but it's red. Or maybe so. it's just red tint. What's that? Your third eye? Yeah, it just sees everything as I would the other two eyes, but just with the red tint. Mm, no. No, it's no. like those little decoder um, rings that you would see in like, <laughs> cereal boxes and stuff you could read like secret messages that's what it can do <laughs> so they can pass secret cave drawing messages to each other yeah mm-hmm. exactly um so yeah silurians um and they they killed a farmer and they swatted liz and then they and scared the farmer's wife scared, very scared the farmer's wife poor doris I know. There's something in my barn. I just I thought I enjoyed the way he says that. Yeah, except that he like okay, there's there's something, some sort of freak, yeah. uh, and he just turns his back on it and yells to his wife. Yeah, foolish old man with maybe, a pitchfork. Maybe he assumed that uh, it was sleeping or something like that, since it was like mm. dug in the hay. I don't know. Maybe, but like when he saw it, it 
I thought it moved. Maybe it didn't. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I still probably, if I saw something like that, I would not turn my back on it, I don't think. Yeah. There, I, I, do you, I don't know how you find this because um, season seven is sort of uh, an outlier in Doctor Who because it's very much geared towards adults, I suppose. Not in the traditional sort of sense, but you know, there's a little more of adult themes and just the way they handle things. I, I find that like, you know, the shocked reaction of Doris and of like um, Ransom and Spirit from Space, like that's sort of a a level of reaction and acting and stuff that I don't think we've seen really much in Doctor Who up until now. And I think it's it's a little more, it's a little more shocking, I think. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's, it's scarier in a more sort of like empathetic, like you connect with the emotions of mm-hmm. the characters these characters that you don't really know very well right. but you know they are experiencing shock and fear as opposed to just you know showing you a monster on the screen which is supposed to be scary not that we haven't had that but no. but it does seem to be really a focus now yeah i found that i found that the reactions towards them are a little more heightened they're not just like screaming and run away or like ah and dying or something it's there's like there's definite circumstances to these people meeting Silurians or Autons or something that is affecting them for a lot longer and a lot more mm-hmm. intensely, I think, than we've seen. Yeah, people are being sent, you know, the people that survive are being sent to the hospital mm-hmm. and are in shock or being locked up or, you know, doing cave drawings or something. Yeah. So I did notice there was a line that the doctor said, uh, it, you know, they're the underground Loch Ness monster or whatever, and they're sort of not making fun of him or taunting him about it, but she's like, really? And he's like, well, you know, I, you, she's, uh, Liz says you weren't very specific. And he's like, well, I didn't have time to draw a picture. And in my head, I'm going, oh, maybe the doctor will put that together with the draw, drawn pictures on the oh. wall of the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the guy who saw it in the first place. Spencer. Spencer, yes. But they haven't, uh, at least, at least so far, the doctor hasn't connected those dots. But I mean, maybe he sort of has in his head, but they haven't drawn a, Drawn a line between those two. <laughs> Maybe he has because he was certainly very suspicious of Dr. Quinn, you know, the point where he visits his house and sort of barges in yep. trying to get some information. I'm sort of, you know, stall tactics, I suppose, um, to see how he would react with him. So, oh, is this your place? Oh, it's very nice. Oh, it's very hot in here. Isn't it kind of like the rep that, you know, he mm-hmm. so knows. Yep. And but, but Dr. Quinn still isn't biting until he even leaves the house and says, they didn't catch mm-hmm. it, you know, and full on knows what's going on here. Yep. Yeah, that was a great scene. I really enjoyed the doctor's, uh, the way he handled that. I was really, I I was on side with, with the doctor and all of his interactions and everything until the moment that the brigadier busted in on him when he was talking to Miss Dawson. Miss Dawson. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the brig came in asking a yeah. question and like, there's no reason not to. And yeah, so... The doctor says, stop talking. Mm-hmm. And the brigadier immediately stops, recognizes yeah. that, like, oh, doctor wants me to back off, so I'm going to back off. But, you know, she changed her mind. Oh, well. And then the, the doctor immediately says, well, it's too late now. And he sits down in a huff and puts his head in his hands. That's the third doctor that I remember that I don't like. Well, he's just frustrated because yeah. he was this close to learning the truth. And then, you know, just the untimely entrance is what... It's the mood swings that really freak me out about this doctor. I don't I don't like sort of not knowing which doctor I'm going to get, mm-hmm. you know? Is it going to be the warm and cuddly one or is it going to be the, you know, the screamy, shouty, scary one? Mm-hmm. It's like 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, um, you know, tying up, I think he likes the Brigadier, but he'll always give others the benefit of the doubt or he'll, he'll, the Brigadier will have to work harder, I think, to gain the doctor's, um, respect as a default reaction because he's still a military person. You can tell him he's like, oh, he's still running about playing at soldiers. And he's like definitely against the brigadier sending more troops down to the cave. And so like, he's kind like the brigadier is not purposely antagonizing the doctor, but he is certainly working against the way that the doctor would do things. Yeah. I find it, I find it interesting their the relationship because it's, it's clear that the doctor really, really likes the brigadier like as a person and i think there's a very interesting sort of push and pull going on within the doctor's mind because yeah he the brigadier is a soldier he is in charge of this paramilitary outfit and at the same time he's a really great guy that he likes a lot so it's you know that's a that's a complicated relationship right there to have somebody that you care about very much who also is is, you know sometimes working at odds with you and yeah i think that's a, a really interesting facet of their relationship especially considering the fact that the doctor and the brigadier sort of bonded and became friends Back in the Patrick Troughton days when, you know, this was the sort of most anarchic that the doctor had been and still managed to form this bond with that guy, which is a part of why I think it is such a strong bond. Because if you can create it when you're at a place in your life where you're, you know, 180 degrees away from supporting any kind of military establishment, then it does sort of make sense that it would hang on when you have sort of changed and shifted uh, to maybe a less anarchic version of your own personality. Yeah. There's also, you know, I think there's a, uh, you know, the doctor has been free to travel around the universe at his own whim. And now he's like reliant on like his TARDIS doesn't work anymore. He's reliant on humans. He is sort of like a, he's in a pecking order on a chain of command. Now he can't just sort of wander around and do what he likes. Although the brigadier did say, I think you'll find the doctor is qualified to do whatever he wants or whatever he wishes, whatever he likes. Notice he doesn't say that when the doctor's in the room. No, of course. But it was, that was a fun, that was a fun thing to watch the brigadier say. Yeah. The, the way that Nicholas Courtney delivers it is there's, there's a warmth there. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's totally crushing on the doctor (laughs) in a a way. Mm -hmm. Um, oh yeah, I, I pointed out, uh, I, you didn't recognize him at, at first when he popped on screen cause it was dark in the caves. I thought maybe you'd recognize his voice, but then when you saw him in his first scene in the Brigadier's office there, you 100% knew who it was Paul Darrow, seven years removed from his, uh, star making role as Avon and Blake seven here in an early role as Captain Hawkins. Captain Hawkins. It's even a sexy name. <laughs> yeah, you said you said do you recognize that uh that guy, Captain Hawkins there? And it was they were down in the caves, so as I mentioned before, the lighting in the caves is very effective and really, really cool. But it makes it hard to sort of see anybody's face to make it out. So I was like, oh, I, I can't see him very well. Um only caught quite a glimpse of him and then like in the next glimpse I said, I he's maybe kind of familiar. All I can tell you is that he's got some great cheekbones. Mm-hmm. So I could tell, and he didn't say very many things, so I didn't didn't notice anything. And then cut to the next scene that he's in, which is back up in the base, which is very well lit. And suddenly he turned around, and maybe he said something I don't even remember. There were stars in my eyes and my ears, and yeah, I just sat up and went, <gasps> and you laughed at me. Yeah, I thought I thought you'd twig when you said great cheekbones, and I thought, oh, 
No, didn't. There, there are many British men with great cheekbones, so you know that doesn't narrow it down enough. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul Darrow. He's wonderful in Blake Seven. If you've ever seen Blake Seven, uh, I think they're on YouTube. If you can't get him on DVD, which you can't outside of like uh, Region Two, so yeah, he is. It's mm-hmm. it's neat seeing him in an early role, so deferential to others because when you only know him really from Blake Seven as I do, and I suppose Time Lash later on in Doctor Who, it's just it's 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 just interesting to see actors doing other roles that aren't their normal roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's. He's just great. <laughs> I like him very much. <laughs> but he's a bit of a jerk too, as Avon. I'm talking about, you know. But you're yeah. fine with that. I can't. He's he's a jerk with a heart of gold. <laughs> I know. I know that's terrible. So Doctor Who is. <laughs> mm-hmm. no. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. No. I. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, dig into this too much. I'm afraid of what I'll discover about myself. Mm-hmm. Understood. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, another thing that you sweet about, which is uh, the uh, the wardrobe of of Liz Shaw. Okay, new life goal. Yep. I legitimately want to recreate probably all of her outfits. I haven't seen them all yet, but I'm just guessing all of them as as things that I can just wear to work. Like I don't my I don't wear skirts that are quite as short as as she does, but I often wear short skirts or dresses with uh, black leggings underneath yeah. and then boots and stuff. So I feel like I could pull off many of her looks and just have them as my regular wardrobe. And I know that there's I think there's a website out there that sort of does that, like takes Doctor Who costumes and then gives you not the not exact things, but you know like actual shirts and sweaters and boots and clothing and stuff from different websites and different different stores Uh that you can buy to have like a close cosplay so like you know if you buy this blouse from you know from nordstrom and these boots from you know the shoe warehouse or wherever and these pants from bootlegger you know those those sorts Mm -hmm. of things so I'm going to have to Google and see if I can, or if somebody knows what that website is, please at me or at, uh, tweet us at, yeah. at lazy doctor. Who do, what? No, 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 no. Carry on. Yeah, no. Uh, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Okay. I, I, is that for, um, a, uh, like contemporary, um, uh, costumes or also just for classic costumes? You know, this website, I think it might be both. I think it's, I, I don't know if it's just done by one person or, or what, uh, but I th- my impression, the, the few times that people have sort of tweeted links to particular outfits, like it's just, I got the impression that it was, you know, whatever they had gotten around to looking for. And depending on how long ago they did any particular outfit, like some of the clothing might not be available. Like it might have been, hey, here's, here's a sweater that you can buy from Bloomingdale's that was, you know, if that was like six years ago, that sweater is probably not available anymore. So. But still, I feel like it's a worthy goal because everything is so sensible and yet stylish. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really, really like it. And I still want her boots. Yeah, it's it's not like she's often dressed in like solid colors, sort of like she had like Mm -hmm. a a sweater or something that was a solid color. Yeah. And the first scene that I saw her with, I thought it was black, like a black turtleneck. But then in a later, more well-lit scene, Mm -hmm. it's actually like a dark navy blue and then there's a skirt that's sort of a purple um like a a plum or something like that Mm -hmm. underneath it and i was like that's that's great i wear a lot of solid colors i like it Mm -hmm. i could add some jewelry to make it even you know more work appropriate Mm -hmm. yeah 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 you're a fan of this shaw (laughs) 
really, really am. She's so great. And I love how in the barn, uh, you know, she and the doctor have gotten there to, to, to look around and stuff. And the doctor's like, oh, I'm going to go after, you know, whatever. Uh, will you stay here and do some forensic testing? Like, yeah. he's handing the science over right to her. And I was like, yeah. Um, whereas when she was wanting to go along down into the cave... And the brigadier's like, no, no, no. I was kind of like, <laughs> I did appreciate that she just said, have you ever heard of women's emancipation? Yeah. Like, Good for you. And then the doctor says, no, I think he's right. And she immediately defers to him. And that, mm-hmm. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that. I appreciate that they have formed such a bond already <clears throat> that she trusts the doctor's opinion enough yeah. to be like, yeah, okay. And I mean, it's not like they're wrong because they're sending armed troops Mm -hmm. down to face who knows what kind of a menace they're not going for some sort of scientific investigation nothing that's particularly linked to any of her specialties um the doctor has been in lots and lots and lots of armed combat Mm -hmm. situations and dangerous places so he's got the experience to do it whereas she does not so it's i mean it, it didn't really strike me as you shouldn't be here because you're a woman. It was, you shouldn't be here because you're not a soldier and you don't have any live combat training. They didn't really spell that out, no. but uh, that is kind of what I took away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else about these two uh, two episodes before we get to one of a couple other things we want to cover in this episode? Um, Dr. Quinn yeah. was evil, turns out. Yes, he was. And dead by the end of episode three. You're sort of like main guest yeah. character and he's mm-hmm. dead. Yeah, that was a, that was a surprise. I did yeah. not expect him to be dead. Uh, I also didn't expect him to be as big of a like jerk as he was. Like, turns out he's one of those kinds of like mad scientists who really just he wants not power, knowledge. He wants he wants the knowledge. So he's he's helping these mysterious creatures in order f- to get them to share this this knowledge and. They're not working fast enough for him. So when he gets one in his clutches, he locks it up mm-hmm. and is going to basically make it tell him all its secrets unless he, you know, before he will send it home where it won't die. So I was just kind of like, wow, okay, any positive feelings I had left for you, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mr. Quinn? I'm not even calling you doctor anymore. Right. You don't get that honorific. Uh, yeah, they gone. So... You know, it's still sad to see somebody die, mm-hmm. but I feel like he brought that upon himself. Somewhat ironic that you uh, remove the honorific of doctor from from Dr. Quinn because the actor Fulton Mackay was actually on the short list yet turned down the role of the fourth doctor five years hence when Barry Letts offered him the role. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. That's mind blowing. Yeah. Wow. Well, I like him, yeah. the actor, but as the, do- that would have been a very different show. Wow. Well, at the time, I mean, this is dealing stuff with five years in, in, from now, but Barry Letts, who, by the way, is a new producer of Doctor Who. We should probably mention that at some point. Um, he uh, was looking to sort of uh, go older a little bit um, with the Doctor and was sort of looking at older actors for him and going so far as to casting a new companion to do all the heavy lifting a la Ian back in the day, which is where Harry Sullivan comes from because he's going to serve that role. But then they cast Tom Baker, of course, who was a much younger actor and the rest is history. But, um, but yeah, Fulton Mackay was one of the, uh, one of the actors who was, but I think he turned it down because he didn't either didn't want to commit to a long 
series or he wanted like script approval or something yeah. there there I, I can't remember who which characteristic was with which actor which turned it down uh, but I know that he was one of those few people that was offered it well I, I mean I'd have to sort of see a picture or something of him five years later than this yeah. but he didn't strike me as old like he seemed fairly young maybe that was just his the, he has a bit of a baby face and sort of the way that he acted mm-hmm. but uh, I I don't feel like he seems any older than Tom Baker. <laughs> well, he's got gray hair. I guess so. Gray hair suddenly means I don't know. I don't oh. think I don't think gray. Maybe this is just me talking as somebody who's getting more and more gray hairs every day. Right. But I don't feel like gray hair makes you old. Yeah. So there. Uh, well, Tom Baker was about forty, I think, when he was off the role of Doctor Who. Yeah, that's. Yeah. And this guy's how old is he? I don't know how old he is. Yeah. Anyway, age yeah. is just a number. It's just a number. Um. Uh, I mentioned Barry Letts. Uh, yes, he's the, now the producer, having sort of been uh, whisked away and put onto this after Derek Sherwin um, went off to join his fellow co-producer Peter Bryant of Doctor Who onto a series called Paul Temple, um, which is a major international co-production with uh, some place in Germany. They needed some help, so they were they were done that, and so Barry Barry Letts became the new producer of Doctor Who without really having any influence over any great like story decisions all the stories were basically in place and it was just his job to sort of produce them um one thing that barry let's would, would eventually do i think he started doing this by the end of the season is that he was setting a boat instead of like they're still making doctor who the way they did in the 1960s at this time and that they would do an episode a week they basically do rehearsals, film the episode on what, at the end of the week, and then the next time, you know, do it again. And Barry Letts was working more towards uh, filming two episodes back to back, have like two weeks rehearsal basically, and then shoot like a, one episode on one day, and the very next day shoot the other one the next. Uh, so, the, so they want to take down the sets as much, you know, a little more economical thing. It would eventually sort of alter the way they um, structured stories too. Because then, you know, as we'll get later on in, in the proper Barry Lett seasons of 8, 9, and 10, and 11, about how those things are. But uh, as the ho- the handover sort of happened, the things fell through the cracks. And I think there probably wasn't a producer on hand to perhaps uh, approve or uh, veto the, the titles as they went to the graphics creators. And so usually at the top of the script, it probably says Doctor Who, Spearhead from Space, Doctor Who and the Romans, such and such. Uh, the script probably said Doctor Who and the Silurians. So whoever dealt the title said, oh, that's the title, I guess. Doctor Who and the Silurians, which is why we have Doctor Who and the Silurians as the official title of this story. Does that ever happen again? Or is this the only one that says Doctor Who and? This is the only one. Wow. Uh, Speaking of one Mm -hmm. and who, I noticed that who won is the license plate on Bessie. Yep. And people think the question marks are bad. (laughs) I'm sorry. The question marks are nothing compared Mm -hmm. to that license plate. I'm not a big Bessie fan to start with. Why not? Oh, gee, see? And now I can picture my mom at home just sadly shaking her head as she's listening to this because she loves Bessie. I just, well, I'm not a car person and it looks ridiculous. And there's a shot of it just sitting out there in the pouring rain at the farm. Like, and then just, you know, not too long later, the the doctor and the brig are just driving along and I'm thinking their butts must be soaked. Put the roof up. Is there a roof to go up? There's a roof. Yeah. Okay. I don't. 
You see it in later episodes. Okay. Well, that was... Okay, then that was really dumb. Uh, Or maybe at this point, the doctor hasn't fixed it up, fixed Bessie up enough yet that the roof actually goes up and down. Um, Yeah, and I know you're going to be upset at this, but at least at the time that I first saw this, yellow was not a color that I was terribly fond of. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I know you love yellow. Uh, I just think Bessie is ridiculous. I'm sorry. I made a um, somewhat rudimentary Lego version of Bessie, which I have over on the shelf. That's right. You did. You should tweet a picture of that from the Lazy Doctor Who Twitter account so people can see what a great job you did. I was, yeah, it's you did a wonderful job making a ridiculous thing in Lego form. Out of the pieces that I had, I probably could do a better job elsewhere, but I didn't feel like it. So with that caveat out of the way. Uh, one last thing, I suppose, before, before, we, before we wrap this episode up. It is officially now, it's March 16th, it's the beginning of the incomparable membership drive. Yeah, I forgot about that. We totally should have uh, pulled up the actual um, membership read before we started recording. Yeah. And we didn't. Nope. So I get to just go off a of memory. Wow, this is Lazy Doctor Who right here. We, we we'll, could, we'll do it again in another one where I will actually read it properly. But yeah, uh, but yeah for right now, it is, it's time to remind you all that it is possible for you to help support us, Stephen and Erica, on our red couch mm-hmm. and Lazy Doctor Who, this podcast specifically. And you can do that by becoming a member of The Incomparable. It's pretty cool. It's pretty easy. You go to theincomparable.com slash members. And you can sign up. And when you do sign up, um, there's uh, a list of, of all the delightful shows on The Incomparable. And there's a little ticky box right next to where it says Lazy Doctor Who. And, Ooh. Yeah. And if you want to support us, you tick that ticky box. Right. And if that's the only ticky box that you tick, then all of your contribution comes to, to us, Erica and Steven. That's nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. After a few fees are taken out for, for you know totally understandable overhead type stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, but if you listen to more shows on the Incomparable Network, which you totally should because they're really good, and I'm on some of the other ones too, um, and so is Steven sometimes. I am too, and I edit some of them as well. Yeah, yeah. So you're paying our salaries in multiple ways. But yeah, if you check multiple little ticky boxes, then your contribution gets spread over all of those shows evenly. Which is very nice. It is very nice. And uh, we're planning to do some special episodes, or at least a special episode, during the, this membership drive, aren't we? Yes. Well, it would, I think it'll come out right after the uh, the membership drive. But yeah, if you're a member, you, you get uh, not only the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting the, the people who work so hard. <clears throat> In our case, I don't know about that. But on the other, on the other shows, they work very hard um, to, to entertain you. Uh, you also get all kinds of cool um, members-only content. And we've been doing this for, I think, like three years now, the, the the network has. So when you become a member, you instantly get access to the entire backlog of all of the members-only stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's three years of cool stuff. Um, we did a game show one year and... What else did we do? Or maybe it was game shows a couple of years. Some ridiculous, fun things. Yeah, I know I hosted a, uh, a Doctor Who Random Pursuit episode for members only for the last one, I think, wasn't it? Or a Doctor Who Trivial Pursuit. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So that was that was fun. I don't think I won. I don't remember. Uh, become a member and listen and yeah. find out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and tell us because we forget. Yes, <laughs> 
exactly. Uh, and yeah, so this year's member special, tell, tell the listeners what we're doing. Well, uh, we are going to bring on a couple of friends of ours. Am I allowed to say which friends yeah, they are? Right. Paul Cornell and Liz Miles, uh, the latter from Verity, of course, but both of them from uh, Hammer House of Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk to them about Doctor Who and fandom and how they got into it and other things. And the sort of the experience of watching from the very beginning in comparison to the experience of watching random episodes here and there, because Doctor Who is one of those shows that's really interesting in that there are very, very different ways to sort of experience it and watch it. It's not mostly serialized enough that you have to watch from beginning to end. Like, can you imagine watching something like Fringe um, uh, from, yeah, (laughs) dipping in and out? Like, this just wouldn't make any sense. But with Doctor Who, you can. So... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into that, and it's gonna be really fun. And I'm looking forward to doing that. So yeah, if you're a member, look forward to that. If you're not a member, go to theincomparable.com/members. There are um, support levels at five dollars, ten dollars, and twenty dollars a month, uh, with also annual equivalents as well. So like, if you don't if you don't want to pay every single month, you can just do it all in a one fell swoop. Uh, it's very easy. If you're already a member, it's also super easy to up your pledge to a higher level and possibly get some some extra goodies for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember if there's uh, anything else that that's in the membership read, but I think maybe that's the important stuff. Who needs a script? Yeah, I guess I'm uh, I'm managing. Uh, we'll we'll do it again in a couple of episodes probably, and I'll do it properly i'm making air quotes here but yeah we we would very much we very very much appreciate the people who already support us it is super helpful considering that uh steven's job is podcasting so this is this is an important part of what keeps food on our table that's true so i don't have to become a silurian scavenging through a barn looking for (laughs) morsels of food here do you think he was looking for food or it or she? I don't know. It. I think it's what they're. No, uh, no I don't. I think I was looking for a place to hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like some hay to staunch the the blood with. Oh, that was another scene that I really liked. Oh, here we go. Uh, was the um, when they have the blood samples and they've <clears throat> they've taken taken him back to the lab and the doctor's looking at him and Liz is like, "What do you think?" And instead of explaining something to her, he says, "Take a look for yourself." So she looks, and then we have her saying back to the doctor. I know this might sound a little bit out there, but this seems like, you know, a large reptilian or mm-hmm. reptile, something like that. And I know that later on, one of the rationales for bringing on uh, Joe Grant and or a companion that's not as educated as the doctor was to have somebody to ask questions, to ask the questions that the audience would ask. And I point you to that scene right there as a refutation of that idea because that's just dumb because right here no it's true Liz Shaw is not asking questions of the doctor but because there are the two of them working together they can still talk to each other about what's happening and what's going on so they could have had somebody who didn't know anything. The brigadier could have walked in and said hey doc what's going on and the doctor could have said we think it might be a large reptilian this was so much more interesting having two people um, discussing their theories and discussing even how ridiculous that sounds. Hmm. And I just, I love this, the, the way that they talk about it to each other. Season seven, Doctor Who. This is why it's a lot of people's favorite because I think it's probably one of the stronger um, ways the, of the Doctor companion relationship uh, is, is enhanced a little bit because of LeShaw's stature. 
I scoffed at that idea that season seven is one of the best ones for so long, and I'm I'm eating a little bit of crow so far. You, know, you hadn't seen much of season seven though, to, to so I'm amazed that you actually drew an opinion uh, about it before having seen it. But then again, you are a Doctor Who fan, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, burn. Yeah. That's a that's a legit burn though. You're you're not yeah. wrong. But I think just because I think the the other do- uh the, the other um third doctor bits that I had seen were not from season 7 mm-hmm. and so I was like, yeah, but season 7 still has the third doctor in it, right? Yeah. Just it never occurred to me that a character could strike me so differently just being put up against different people and i mean maybe there's enough of a change in characterization that he will also still bother me uh later on um and maybe he's just just different but so far yeah like if i had not seen anything later just coming straight through from the beginning i would have been very sad to see patrick Troughton go and it probably still would have taken me a little while to get used to the change Mm -hmm. but yeah so far except for like i said so far, we've only had that one moment where I was not on the doctor's side. But yeah, other than that one moment, I really like him. <laughs> oh, the look on your face is very cute. It's good. I'm happy. I'm not like, oh, see, I told you so. I'm no. I'm happy that you are enjoying new Doctor Who to you that you didn't think you would. It's it's a nice feeling, isn't it? It really is. It's like it's kind of a feeling of relief. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, I have I have so many friends who really love the Third Doctor, and I've always felt a little bit guilty that I couldn't connect with them mm-hmm. uh, about that but now I feel like I'm I'm learning to understand where that love comes from and I'm now I'm also interested to check in with those friends and find out how did they experience the third doctor did they just dip into random stories did they start at the beginning if they did dip into random stories were the first couple from season seven mm-hmm. or were they later ones I, I I'm very interested in uh, the people who love the third doctor the most and and how they discovered him and if it's you know d- different from from how I am I look forward to this mm-hmm. um, future discovery of, of the season seven seventh yep. uh, third doctor I'm also already mourning <laughs> the end yeah. of this season because I'm afraid I'm not gonna like the rest of it as much but you know what I didn't think I was gonna like this that much so who knows maybe season eight will will hit me in the feels in a way that I wasn't expecting to. Well, let's get through season seven and indeed uh, story two of season seven first before we get on with anything else. You know me. I'm always just like looking too far ahead. I know. Uh, but the only further ahead that we'll look is the next episode, which we'll talk on our next episode of this year's podcast, Lazy Doctor Who, on the Incomparable Network. <laughs> on the Incomparable Network. See, this is the one time that you can do that. And exactly. I and you didn't do the obnoxious, obnoxious voice, so this is better. No, mm-hmm. I didn't. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.